Hi, my name is Cecilia. The mic is here. Sorry, I'm moving close to it. Hi, my name is Cecilia and welcome to my podcast, uh, My Basic Life. So my podcast, in case this is your first time here and you don't know who I am or you don't know what this podcast is about. This podcast is about small business owners. I am a small business owner since 2014 to date. I work for myself. And on this podcast, I share my experiences as a small business owner. I share um, things I've learned working for myself. I interview small business owners. I speak to lawyers and accountants, and they share various things in regards to small businesses so that when you decide to maybe work for yourself or decide to get into entrepreneurship, you don't go into it blindly. There's a lot of information that I've put here on the podcast and here on my Instagram page, in case you don't follow me on, on Instagram, our page is um, at MBL underscore podcast. There's so much content that will help you not make many mistakes that I made being self-employed. Some of the topics I handle is partnerships, working with a business partner, what that takes, what you need to know. We talk about CRB, we talk about accounting, we talk about taxes, we talk about... Uh, legal matters and small businesses there's so much information that you can get from my podcast or my instagram page which is at mbl underscore podcast so every monday i read i have not every monday i read the book purple cow by seth godin we're actually almost done we're really close to be done and the book that i'll be reading after this is the psychology of money which i'm so excited to read because I think we've not, I feel like we've, like I personally have never got a lesson into money, like how to deal with money, what is money, how to handle it, all that stuff. And I feel that book will be ideal for that. So um, we're about to be done with this book and that's the book I'll be reading um, next. So um, yeah, so let's just pick it up from where I left off last and yeah. That's it. Oh, yes. Let's drink some water before we start reading. I need it. I've said this. I need this because my mouth goes dry reading this book, honestly. So take a few seconds, dash to the kitchen. If you've not drunk some water, drink some water and let's stay hydrated. So yeah, one second. Okay, so let's start. Case study, so popular. Okay, case study, so popular, no one goes there anymore. Here's a great case study of how the purple cow cycle works. Stu Leonard started an ordinary dairy store in uh, Connecticut. It was less than 20 it was less than 20,000 square feet, selling milk, cheese, and the usual dairy store essentials. Student wants to settle for a tiny store, though, so student want to settle for a tiny store, though, so he embraced the cow. He put a petting zoo out front. He developed a customer service policy, so simple and important. He had it carved in a 6,000 pound block of granite and put in front of the store. He started featuring unique and unusual products, and he sold many items for dramatically reduced prices. The store was stuffed with robotic mooing cows, dancing milk cartons, and violin playing chicken. Okay. <laughs> 
as a suburb near this, his Connecticut store grew, so did the legend of his purple cow. Stew expanded the store more than 10 times, eventually showing up in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh my God, do you remember that show? It used to come like at, I think, 6 o'clock. If you live in Kenya, Ripley's used to come like at around 6. Um, he was lounded in one of Tom Peter's major books. He was an advisor to politicians and a friend of Paul Newman. Stew also sold more uh, Purdue chicken every day than did any other store in the world. The store and the innovation it stood for was so, was so spectacular that I took each and every employee I hired and drove them an hour north of north to Connecticut just to see how customer service and showmanship could combine to create a world-class organization. That was 10 years ago. Today, Stu Leonard is run by his son, and the store has expanded to several locations. One of them is just two miles from my house. I never go there. <laughs> Why? Because it's too popular and it's boring. Oh, okay. The news, the news too, in brackets, to Junior, used the purple cow to spread the word and go and to grow, and it worked. But now that he has already spread the word, it's more profitable to milk the cow. Stew exchanged me, in brackets, someone with a food and service otaku and a big time sneezer for 10 ordinary grocery consumers. The products at Stew are no longer unique. He carries nothing organic, no brands you've never seen before, nothing at a remarkably low price. The customer service is merely okay. Ask someone in the fish department where to find canned pumpkin, and he'll point in a vague direction and say over there. In the old days, when Stew was still remarkable, someone would walk, someone would walk over you. Wait, what? Over there, okay, over there in the old days. In the old days when Stu was still remarkable, someone would walk you over. Oh, all right. Okay, so someone would take you to the sh All right, cool. There used to be a suggestion box at the exit if you submitted a suggestion. More often than not, got a letter back from Stu Senior himself. Today, the suggestion box is still there, but don't count on getting a letter back. The business is too profitable to worry about that. So when your parking lot is full of busting, is your when your parking lot is full to busting and you're making far more money than you ever did before, does that mean you don't have to worry about the cow? In the short run, Stu Jr.'s strategy is brilliant. He's using the brand his father built and creating significant wealth. It's cynical, but it's true. Dumbing down his store for the masses, not the sneezers, was the way to get rich in a hurry. If your business is in a similar situation, your shareholders probably want you to do precisely the same thing. The grocery business is pretty special in that the grocery the grocery business is pretty special in that once you take out a location, you can profit from it for a very long time. There's a lot there's there's also not much chance that grocery stores are going to go out of style. So your ride on top is pretty long indeed. Okay. If on the other hand, your goals are growth and impact in building an ever larger and sustainable business, it's hard to imagine how this strategy scales. If Stu opens a store in Houston, Texas, an area well served by big supermarkets and where virtually no one has heard of Stu's purple cow, he's just going to he's he's just not going to do very well. And if Stu's business was an was as subject to the vagaries of fashion as yours is, he'd have more to worry about about as well. The purple cow is just part of the product life cycle. You can't leave it all, you can't leave it all at 
okay, you can't leave it all the time. Too risky, too expensive, too tiring. But when you grow, but when you need to grow or need to introduce something new, it's your best shot. Next time you go to stew, say hi for me. You'll find me and my friends at Brothers, the fastest growing, very profitable and quite remarkable vegetable market around the corner. <laughs> okay, so I feel like he just threw shade on that stew business in this chapter. <laughs> Anyway, this is something he's talked about. To be amazing or ordinary, not to be ordinary in your business, you really have to, you cannot just be mediocre. You cannot just settle for, okay, we are making money and so let's just ride this wave. You have to be able to think outside the box. Think of another purple cow. That is something he has said in the past. So let's continue. Another title, is it about passion? My hero, Tom Peters asks, <clears throat> does, does the work matter? The idea of adding passion and wow and magic to what we do is compelling to many of us. Wait, what? My hero to... Okay, sorry. My reading today is a bit off. I'm so sorry. Um, my, <laughs> I'm so sorry. My hero Tom Peters asked, does the work matter? The idea of adding passion and wow and magic to what we do is compelling to many of us. All of the great ideation and risk-taking and multidisciplinary magic that Tom and those who followed him have rifled about are so important, but they don't appeal to many of the people we work with. The people who say, how can we make it appeal to a broader audience, or Walmart won't, make, won't take it, or we can't afford silly meetings or product failures, aren't being moved by the heroic tales of innovative marketers. The skeptics think the whole passion thing is sort of flaky. They are not buying it, nope. These, those people don't care about the why. They just want to do what's going to work. What's going to work. And that's the point of the cow. You don't have to like it. You don't have to be a fast company junkie, a new product guru, a market, a make it work matter apostle no you just have to realize that nothing else is working the proof is there the big brands the big successes the profitable startups big and small worldwide and local have all have all been about the cow you don't need passion to create a purple cow nor do you need an awful lot of creativity what you need is the insight to realize that you have no other choice but to grow your business or launch your product with purple cow thinking nothing else is going to work that means that launching 10 products for 10 million each is a lot smarter than investing 100 million in TV to launch in TV to launch just another product. It means that if all 10 products fail, you've just learned 10 ways that aren't going to work. You're still ahead of where you'd be you'd be if the one TV launch had failed, which is far more likely than not, which is which is far more likely than not you're still ahead of where you'd be if the one TV launch had failed, which is far more likely than not. All right. Um, if your boss wants focus groups to prove that a new product is guaranteed to be successful, um, if your boss wants focus groups to prove that a new product is guaranteed to be a success, don't bother. If the focus group like, if the focus group likes it, they're probably wrong. If your company wants you to pick one and only one product to feature this Christmas. Start working on your resume. You're going to invent a purple cow with your, you're not going to invent a purple cow with those sorts of odds and that kind of pressure. Things that have to work 
really things that have to work really do anymore you don't need a book about creativity or brainstorming or team building you've already got a hundred or a thousand ideas your group doesn't have your group ideas your group doesn't have the guts to launch you don't need more time or even more money you just need the realization that a brand new business paradigm is now in charge and once you accept the reality of the cow finding one suddenly gets much easier Jay Peterman knew how to reach the New Yorker readers. He knew it was too late to become Lillian Vernon, so he didn't try. For the audience he was targeting, his catalog and his voice were magical. No big mail order company would have invested in his vision at first. Too untested, too unusual, some might even call it weird. When Comedy Central Focus Group tested South Park, it set a record scoring just 1.5 out of 10 points with women. Three of Three of the women in the group cried. They hated it so much. Scary, sure, weird to some. But the group that mattered, adolescent boys and those who act like them, spread the word, and the show was a monster hit. <laughs> Remember, it's not about being weird. It's about being irresistible to a tiny group of easily reached sneezers with otaku. Irresistible isn't the same as ridiculous. Irresistible for the right niche is just remarkable. That is something he says. When you're starting your brand or your business, you're not supposed to be targeting a large group. You need to focus on a niche and the niche should have your sneezers. Your sneezers are the people who are going to spread the word about your brand. It's simple. Don't target the whole of Nairobi. If you're a musician, don't target the whole of Nairobi. Target... If you're a rock fan, target the rock fanatics in Nairobi. Those are your sneezers. And you can even narrow it down. It can even be just the rock fanatics who live on Gong Road in Nairobi. It can be that small of a niche, but don't target everyone. And I think that's something that I've learned from this book. Like even with my podcast and my business, I've become very aware that my podcast is not for everyone. It's if you want to start a business, if you're running a business um, and you want the information, you're going to find my podcast. If your focus is small business owners and how to be a small business owner, you'll find my podcast. Or you'll be able to find the content on my podcast interesting. If not, you'll find that the content on my podcast is not interesting to you, you know. And it's okay. And that's something Seth Godin says. It's okay because you just need the sneezers in your niche to help you spread the word and that takes time you know to find that collective of people but they're there they're there um and this book has shown many examples of niche groups like to the weirdest tiniest group that you think there's no one who'd like this and there are people making money out of those small niches and small categories and it helps spread the word um yeah Let's continue. I'm okay. I'm seeing a whole list of, of, I don't know if that's a whole list of company names. Oh my gosh. True facts. Interbrand values the inter. Okay. So the title is true facts. Interbrand values the top 100 brands in the world every year. Interbrand combines a bunch of mysterious factors and determines which brands are worth the most. Here is the list for 2002. So on this list, there are 100 brands. This Coca-Cola is number one. Let me read the top 10. There's Coke, Microsoft, IBM, GE, which is General and Electric, Intel, Nokia, Disney, McDonald, Marlboro, 
and number 10 is Mercedes. Other brands on this list are Apple, which is number 50, Smynoff, which is 84, Boeing, which is 82. I even think Boeing is a brand. I don't know, I just assumed. Okay. Anyway, uh, 3M at number 99, and Amani at number 100, Yahoo at number 67, Adidas at number 68, Pfizer at number 28. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Of these top 100 brands, 70, 70 are brands that were available in this country more than 25 years ago. Of these brands, virtually all were built with heavy advertise, advertising on television, in magazine, and on or at retail. These companies grew their brands back when it was easy and cheap to do it the old-fashioned way. This is like advertising, TV ads. These brands maintain their lead, blocking newcomers who don't have the same vacuum to fill. Of the remaining 30 brands, half were built almost entirely through word of mouth, like HP, Helwet Packard, it's Packard or Packard, HP, Oracle, Nintendo, SAP, SAP, SAP I think is that accounting software, Canon, Ikea, Sun, Yahoo, Ericsson, Motorola, Amazon.com, Prada, Starbucks, Polo, Ralph Rollen, and Armani. These brands were built by word of mouth. While some of these brands like Lauren and Sun spent heavily, spent heavily on print advertising, it's pretty clear that without a remarkable product and significant word of mouth, they wouldn't have acquired the value and cachet they now hold. That leaves 15 brands. Some like Cisco Systems and Microsoft acquired their value through market power, either by acquiring competitors or bullying them out of the way. Others like Apple used both remarkable advertising and word of mouth. That leaves only a tiny handful. That's Compaq, Dell, Nike, The Gap, MTV, AOL, and perhaps Nivea that build their brands the old-fashioned way. I'd argue that MTV doesn't really count since they, since they advertise only on their own channel, which people found through word of mouth. Notice that just one of the companies on the list is the product. Notice that just one of the companies on the list is the product of the last 10 years of media excess. Only AOL was able to spend hundreds of millions of dollars and convert their investment into a valuable brand. All the other companies that tried failed. At the only AOL was able to spend hundreds of millions of dollars and convert that investment into a valuable brand. Okay. So the question you need to ask yourself is this. If only 6% of the most valuable brands use the now obsolete strategy of constantly reminding us about their sort of ordinary product, why do you believe this strategy will work for you? Wait, hold up. What? So the question, okay, so what? So the question you need to ask yourself is this. If only 6% of the most valuable brands used the now obsolete, used the now obsolete strategy of constantly reminding us about their sort of ordinary product, why do you believe this strategy will work for you? Only 6%. Okay, so the big question is this. Do you want to grow? If you do, you need to embrace the cow. You can maintain your brand the old way, but the only route to healthy growth is a remarkable product. Wait, I feel like, I feel like I've, wait. So of this top 100, of this top 100 brands, 70 are brands that were valuable in this country more than 25 years ago. Of these brands, 
Virtually all were built with heavy advertising on television, in magazine, or retail. Okay, fine. These companies grew their brands back when it was easy and cheap to do it the old-fashioned way, okay, which is advertising, uh, TV ads, that is. Um, these brands maintain their lead, blocking newcomers who don't have the same vacuum to fill. All right. Of the remaining 30 brands, okay, so 70 were built the old-fashioned way. Of the remaining 30 brands, half were built almost entirely through word of mouth. That is HP, Oracle, Nintendo, Canon, Ikea, Sun, Yahoo, Ericsson, Motorola, Amazon, Prada, and Starbucks. Polo, Ralph, Ralph, woo, Ralph Lauren, and Amani. While some of these brands like Lauren and Sun spent heavily on print advertising. So of that 30, some were word of mouth and some were on heavy on print advertising. That's like ads in the newspaper. It's pretty clear that without a remarkable product and significant word of mouth, they wouldn't have acquired the value cachet they now hold. So these brands, HP, Oracle, Nintendo, SAP, Ikea, Yahoo, Ericsson, Amani, Lauren, and Sun, they used word of mouth and print advertising. Okay. Okay, it's pretty clear that without a remarkable product, okay, without a remarkable product and significant word of mouth, they wouldn't have acquired the value and cash they now hold. Okay, fine. That leaves just 15 brands. Some like Cisco Systems and Microsoft acquired their value through market power, either by acquiring the competitor or bullying them out of the way. All right. Others like Apple used both remarkable advertising and word of mouth. That leaves only a tiny handful, that is Compaq, Dell, Nike, The Gap, MTV, and MTV, AOL, and perhaps Nivea. That built, that built their brands the old-fashioned way. So the old-fashioned way is, I'd argue that MTV doesn't really count since they advertise only on their own channel, which people found through word of mouth. Okay. Notice that just one of the companies on the list is the product of the 10 years of media excess. Notice, just, notice that just one of the companies on the list is the product of 10, is the product of the last 10 years of media excess, AOL. Only AOL was able to spend hundreds of millions of dollars and convert that investment into a valuable brand. All the other companies tried and failed, all right. Okay, so the question you need to ask yourself is this, if only 6% of the most valuable brands used now obsolete strategy of constantly reminding us about their sort of ordinary product, why do you believe your strategy will work? If only, sorry, I'm also, I'm trying to understand, so <laughs> I'm rereading it. So if only 6% of the most valuable brands use the now obsolete strategy, what would you believe the strategy will work for you? So yeah, so the strategy won't work. The ads won't work. Hmm. All right. I think we should have a discussion down there because I think I'll need to read this by myself to kind of like click because I feel like... <laughs> I'm not understanding, like, that is he saying that all these brands are 
they are using the old ways of fashion. Okay, apart from the 70%, now the 30%. Um, so it won't work. Or what is he saying? So the question you need to ask yourself is this. If only 6% of the most valuable brands used the now obsolete strategy of constantly, okay, fine. Uh, what do you believe? The, okay, I get that. Like the old ways of advertising won't work. So that means all these brands use the old way of marketing. And so that's how they got to the top. So they either used old-fashioned TV ads or used word-of-mouth and print ads. Or I think the, the last 15 brands um, what is acquired their value through market power. Either by, yeah, and so the remaining brands either acquired their competitors or bullied them out of the way. And yeah, and only one brand, uh, he's saying, used last 10 years of media excess. So I think like advertised in excess, I think. Anyway, I'm a, please let's have a discussion about this. Maybe I'm the one who's not getting it. <laughs> But the point I'm getting at the end is that at the end of the day, he's saying old ways of, of advertising, which is TV ads, these print ads that you think are going to work for your brand are not going to work. I get that. I get that part. I'm just trying to understand whether he means that all these brands have used the old ways of marketing and that's what has allowed them to stay at the top. Or does he mean that among these brands, there are some brands that maybe are on edge, like have not used their old ways of marketing. I don't know. Anyway, the big question is this though. Do you want to grow? If you do, you need to embrace the cow. You can maintain your brand the old way, but the only route to healthy growth is a remarkable product. And I think we should end it there because the next title is Brainstorms, which is like the end like brainstorming i think of this book that's like the last among the last topics on this chapters on this book and then we're done um yeah so i think these are things to think about let me see while we can while we can't predict what's going to be remarkable next time we can realize that there aren't too many unexplored areas of innovation just unexplored combinations Here's an, an annotated checklist with just with just 34 example. It's not complete by any means, but it might get your juices flowing. While this checklist may elicit an of course, that's of course, in, uh, in quote, I wonder how many struggling products have actually been through this analysis. Is your most recent offering the modest of any of these attributes? So I think it's just... Points to help you like brainstorm your own brand, your own business, things to think about, things things to get your brain thinking about your business. And yeah, we can have a discussion about this next Monday when I read this book and finish it. And then we start reading the psychology of money. I can't wait to be done. Uh, but I feel like also this brainstorming, there are a lot of things to think about, especially if you're a small business owner like myself. There are so many things you think about that can challenge your business, challenge the way you think about your business and various things, yeah. Because the, at the end of the day, Seth Godin with this book, he's saying that the old ways of marketing do not work. That is what he's saying. They do not work. You cannot target a large group. You have to be able to narrow it down to a niche of sneezers. You have to really narrow it down and 
yeah, you have to create a remarkable product, you know, in order for your business or your brand to stand out and like be profitable. You cannot just be ordinary. You ca- you cannot even afford to be ordinary. That's basically what Purple Cow is about. Anyway, uh, I'm done. Thank you. Uh, this episode will be saved on IGTV. Um, but I'll also leave the I'll also put a link in the bio where you can click and listen uh, to me reading Purple Cow by Seth Godin. There are many other episodes on my podcast. I read this book from page one. Now we are in page 122 and will be done, I think, by next week or the other the week after that will be done. All the episodes you can find them on my you can find the episodes, the chapters that I've read on my podcast in various titles. Um, I've saved them as book reading. You can see book reading part one, part two, part three. Uh, Boring is Risky. That's a title for still a chapter in this book. Do- Dr. Bronas does, does No Advertising. Otaku, The Magic of the Cow, What It Means to Be a Marketer Today. Uh, when the Cow Looks for a Job. That's for if you're employed, what you can do to stand out, to be a purple cow in employment. So. Thank you so much for joining me and bye. I'm going to end the recording.